We've been doing a series this fall called Faith and Focus, and for the last six weeks, and this is the seventh week, I'm going to wrap it up um, today with Hebrews chapter 12, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to look at verses 12 through 17, but we're going to focus on verses 15 and 16 this morning, but Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of the joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we can have in it. Lord, there are millions and millions of needs around the world that we are able to meet some, but unable to even touch some of the others. So give us wisdom and give us grace. Holy Spirit, I pray just remove every distraction from us right now, that we'd hear from your word, that we would want to live for others and give us that hope. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're here today and you feel like you have everything in life all together, uh, would you just raise your hand? You feel like you've got it knocked out. One person? You you can preach for me uh, today. (laughs) I mean, listen, we uh, we don't have it all together. When we gather together on Sunday, it's real easy. It's really easy to think that when you walk in here, you see somebody else, and you think, man, that guy's got it all together, or she's got it all together. I mean, we talked about some big things this morning, and it'd be very easy to uh, think, wow, man, Lance has got it together, um, or uh, Paul's got it together. Look what he's saying. Or, that person's got it together. They've got it together. I mean, we, we sang, oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you, forever the hope in my heart. But I didn't really feel that this morning when I came in this morning. We don't have it together, but we sing these things, not because we have them together. We sing them to get our hearts in tune, because that's what we desire as Christians. So I want to say that right at the beginning this morning as we look at living for each other in Hebrews chapter 12. Because if we're not really careful as a church, it's real easy to walk in every week and feel that everybody else has it together, and that you're off somehow, that you're messed up because you don't feel that. You don't feel like singing, oh, to be like you, I give all I have to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you, forever the hope of my heart. There's a lot of Cubs fans that are in church this morning be lying to say that that's the first thing they thought of this morning. We sing these things. And we hear these things and we say these things because that's the direction we want to get our hearts back focused on, which is why we're doing this service. So if you feel this morning like you don't have it all together and that you aren't really sure where you're even heading, you're in a good place. And it's okay 
Because I guarantee you, we all, really deep down, we feel that way, which is what Hebrews is talking about. When it says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and streaking your weak knees. Christianity is a faith. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the chapter 11, it says, Now faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We don't see it. But we believe it because it's true and it's real. That's how we know what faith is. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God, it says in Hebrews chapter 11. So God did a great thing for us. He took Hebrews chapter 11, which is a Hebrew, as a book all about these people of faith who lived real lives who really struggled, who didn't have it all together, but they had faith in God. Then he could put it right up next to Hebrews chapter 12 where he said, now because of all these things, and because of who Jesus is, keep running, keep persevering, keep having faith, and keep having focus, and progress in your Christian life. And a Christian life is a life of progress. It's a life of perseverance. It's a life that understands the presence of struggle in the process. And it's a life that embraces the process of growth by growing in patient endurance. I mean, Hebrews 11 is the chapter about faith and faith and people just like us who didn't always have it together, but they had a faith in God that they always could not see and they persevered to the end. And then Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews says, now focus and keep running. The Christian life is a journey. So what the Bible says, it's a sojourn. We, we're traveling through. We're, we're going somewhere, the Bible says. We're heading somewhere. There's a, and the goal is to make it to the finish line. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, um, I brought up the movie, The Long, Long Trailer, from Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, where they took this massive trailer back in the 50s or 60s when they made this movie. They drove across the country. The whole movie is about this long, long trailer and the hectic nature of trying to travel along with the trailer. And all the way through, Lucille Ball is picking up rocks, and she's taking them from all these national parks. And they get to a point in the movie where uh, they just can't go anywhere because the trailer is absolutely weighed down, and she can't move, and it's a complete disaster. But that's true of all of us. They put that in the movie because all of us, when we go someplace, it's in humans, we, we collect rocks, don't we? I have a rock in my office from a creek in the Smoky Mountains because we love going to the Smoky Mountains. I wanted to bring back something from me. We, we collect rocks. I mean, don't you pick up rocks someplace? What is in us? What is in humanity that all of us go someplace and we think, I've got to have a rock. I've got to take this rock and put it in my office. I'm going to look at this rock. Why do humans all carry and want to pick up rocks? It's because we know deep down, the Bible has placed eternity into our hearts. And for some reason, humans cling to rocks because we, we want something that is solid to remember that with. But Psalms 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I think the reason that all of humanity, when they travel, picks up rocks is because deep down, we're looking 
for a rock, something really solid to put our lives on. And the Bible says that Jesus is that rock, which is why for Christians we have to have faith and focus. Because as someone said about 100 years ago, how absurd for travelers to accumulate either property or knowledge, which can be of no use where they are proceeding. As Christians, this is not the end. This is not our final home. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And the Christian life is that journey to head that direction. So what a waste it is to pick up and accumulate rocks that aren't going to last. And I have a faith that is absolutely focused, which is the challenge that the author of Hebrew was saying to these people who are in persecution, who are struggling, who are having moments of weakness in their faith, who aren't always feeling it. And he writes to them and says, Jesus is over everything. He is supreme. Jesus is everything. That's the whole book of Hebrews. Jesus is the answer to everything. And when you're in trouble, keep looking to Jesus. And very practically at the end of Hebrews 12, he says, Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and make straight your weak knees, and strive for certain things. Followers of Christ, it is a, faith is a gift to us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's a gift to you. That's God's sovereign working in your life. But all through the Bible, there is God's sovereignty and human responsibility, and they go together. And faith and focus is the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, and say, hey, listen, A true Christian is going to proceed and he's going to grow in his faith. He's going to make progress. He's not going to say, hey, I can just stay here and get stuck. He's going to make straight and he's going to strive. And he's going to be able to do it because of what it says in Isaiah 35 is what he was referring back to. Isaiah 35, 3 and 4 says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So we have this faith and we have this focus that we're looking forward to. And that whole picture the the author of of Hebrews gives is is running this race. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before you. And he's writing to a group of people, so he's saying, hey, run the race that's set before you collectively. That this is, the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And he's saying, hey, run the race that's set before you personally and be set before you collectively. Which means you've got to run the race that's set before you. We're, we're not all running the exact same race experiences. Some of you had the greatest weeks of your life this week, and some of you had the worst weeks of your life this week. But either way, Hebrews says, run the race that is set before you which means then you have to work that out with God. If you say, I don't like the race that I'm going through. I don't like the experiences that I'm facing right now. Hebrews 12 says, run the race that's set before you. 
which is a Christian, means that we then have to work out with God, a God, the God who adores you and is working all things out for you, your situation. Because it would be very easy at times to say, I don't like this. I don't like these people that I'm with. I don't like the situation that I'm with. And I don't want to run it. But the book of Hebrews says, no, keep running. Because God adores you if you're a Christian. And he's working all these things out for your good. And so he says, see to it. See to it. It's a sense of direction. Strive, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. It's the long obedience is what we're called to. Eugene Peterson was a great pastor. He wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what faith and focus is. It's a long obedience in the same direction. But it's written to people who are tired and exhausted. It's written to people who have been running for a long time. This is originally written to persecuted Christians who had no rights, were getting persecuted, losing property, getting physically abused. And they were tired and exhausted. What he says in verse 12, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. In the midst of a marathon, about mile 18, 19, 20, you want to quit. And that's who he's writing to. People who want to, are ready to, they're tired, they've had stuff happen to them, they're exhausted, they're, they're not wanting to quit, but they could quit any moment. They're weak and they're tired. And that's who he's writing to, and he's, he's saying, that's the group of people that I want you to keep running, keep focused on Jesus. And he says, you weak, tired people, I want you to strive and see to it that this gets done. He lists some things that gets done. Which means this. People that are being persecuted, people that are going through pain, and people that are going through problems are not excused to not do what the rest of Hebrews chapter 12 says. It can become really easy when you are in pain, you got problems, or being persecuted to think that now it's just supposed to be recovery time for me and focus on me and just get through this. That's not at all what Christianity is or says in Hebrews 12. Hebrews was written to persecuted people. And he's saying, keep running. Lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. And then see to it that you do these things. See to it, you who are having all kinds of difficulty yourselves, see to it. And he gives this. Strive together for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Then see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. It's a call to be very clear and careful about the gospel. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Which means to fail to obtain is the idea of to miss out on something through one's own fault. It is on us as followers of Christ to know the gospel, to grow in the gospel, and to show the gospel. The gospel isn't just something that we get 
sign our name on it, and all of a sudden we become Christians and we just go live our lives. The gospel, over and over, as we've seen the last few weeks, is the gospel is what carries us through life. It is the power of God to salvation. And the author of Hebrews, writing to tired people, he said, hey, keep running. And then as you're running, see to it that you don't just live for yourself, but you live for others. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So you got to know the gospel. You got to grow in the gospel. You got to show the gospel. And parents have to be very intentional about teaching the gospel to their children. We have to be making sure as a church that we are engaging people in the gospel because it's Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that will is the only hope that we have. And it can change lives instantly. Be very clear about the gospel. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher in the 1800s, one of the most popular people in the world in his time. New York papers would print his sermons every week. When he was a teenager, he was just struggling with life. He was going through all kinds of difficulties. He wasn't sure if he knew God, wasn't sure if he believed in God. He grew up in a Christian family, but he was just struggling, he says, with difficulties and struggles in life. Well, one day in January in 1850, he's going to church by himself. Massive snowstorm comes along, he said. And instead of making it to the church where he was supposed to go to, he got diverted to this little church. They went in, the little Methodist church got in. No, hardly anybody was there. The speaker couldn't even make it because of the storm. So this other guy just got up, a layman in the church. He got up, he says, and he read Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no one else. And the guy was, Charles Spurgeon said, just kind of boring. He didn't have much to say. He just kept repeating himself, kept repeating himself. Look unto me, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And then he looked down and he saw this young teenager and he said, hey, that guy right there, he looks miserable. That teenager looks miserable. And he pointed to Charles Spurgeon and he said, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus and live. And Charles Spurgeon said in that moment, he looked to Jesus. And his life was radically changed. And he lived through the power of the gospel. We got to be very careful and very clear about the gospel. It's our hope. If you're not here this, if you're here this morning and you have not been rescued by Jesus, look to Jesus. It's a job the whole church is called to do. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So a faith that is focused is going to be very clear and careful about the gospel. And then it's going to be constantly strengthening each other's faith. He says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by many... And by, by it, many become defiled. Which means this is a group effort that he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, Christians are not just to live by themselves, they're supposed to live for each other. Which is the whole purpose of the local church. There's the universal church all around the world, but then God gathers people in very specific localities who live close to each other to say, hey, listen, you can't live the Christian life alone. You're supposed to live together. So strive together. And the reason you strive together is so that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble in someone's life and that many people become devoured. Many problems come. 
So we need to be constantly strengthening each other, which means as a church, it takes that takes commitment. That takes some compassion. That takes compression. What I mean by that is it means we got to be around each other. You're not going to know what's going on with people if you're not around them or trying to contact them where you just got to be committed to it. And you got to care about what other people's uh, lives are going through. And you got to be say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself. I'm going to see to it that this is true. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The strengthening of each other's Faith is not my job alone in the church. The strengthening of each other's faith is the job of the church for each other. To be committed to each other. To have compassion for each other. To have compression for each other. But here's the problem. We live busy lives, don't we? All kinds of things going on. And all kinds of difficulties. We are tons of tons of activities. And so if we're not very, if we're not really intentional about this, the problem is we, we just assume. We make assumptions about people all the time. Well, we're struggling. We're going through a hard time. They just must not care about me and th- because I haven't heard from them. But the reality is you're struggling, and the person over here probably struggling too. And he needs just as much strengthening of his faith as much as you do. So the call to strengthen each other's faith is the call to do it by weak, struggling people. Not to wait till you are got it all figured out to do it. It's then to do it when you are in the process of struggling. And if we got to be very careful with assumptions, just don't assume. And real practically, if someone's not at church for a couple weeks, don't assume. Ask them. Find out where they were. Just text them. And part of the reason why is we assume things about people. And another reason why is we are busy. And we just get consumed with things. There's all kinds of things in our lives that we get consumed by. And we get busy. And we forget to strive. To help make sure no one fails from the grace of God and to strengthen their faith. There's all kinds of things wanting to consume our time and our thoughts. And then sometimes, I think the biggest struggle is we just have this thing I'm calling tongue malfunction. We just don't know what to say. We hear that someone's going through difficulties and we don't know what to say. We don't want to say the wrong thing because that would be worse. If I say, if I contact them and they ask me a question and I say it to them, then I say the wrong thing, then it's worse than if I call them in the first place. So I'm just not going to call them. I'm going to go back to Facebook and just consume myself because I don't want to screw it up. That's not what we're called to do. We can't assume. We can't just let consumption take us and we can't let tongue malfunction hurt us. Joe Bailey, who was a great writer, lost three sons through tragic events. He said this about suffering. He said, I was was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved, except to wish he'd go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. 
He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. And a guy named Dr. John Wyatt, when going through great difficulties, he said this. Suffering in another human being is a call to the rest of us to stand in community. It's a call to be there. Suffering is not a question which demands an answer. It's not a problem which requires a solution. It's a mystery which demands a presence. And that's all that Hebrews is talking about. It's saying, hey, there's all types of reasons that we struggle with doing this for each other, and I am guilty of them, which is why I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. But we are called to have faith and focus and to not let assumption or consumption or tongue malfunction stop us from acting. Just act. If you're wondering how somebody's doing, take that as a nudge of the Holy Spirit for you to text them and ask them. If you're wondering what you should do, just say, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know what to say. How are you doing? And ask them. Because if not, we don't know what that person's going through. They don't know what you're going through. But if we don't do this as a church, if we don't strive for this, then little roots of bitterness come in. And eventually that root of bitterness can destroy a whole group. And someone's gone, and the impact of that is unbelievably great. But a focused faith is clear and careful about the gospel. It's constantly strengthening each other. It's acting. It's not stopping at assumption or I'm busy, they're busy. It's not letting consumption take over our lives. And it's not being afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to say the wrong thing. Can, can, if I'm struggling and you want to talk to me, you're going to say the wrong thing. I'll say the wrong thing to you. Can we just agree that we'll say the wrong thing, but we mean to do it well? Can we do that as a church? So we don't want roots of bitterness to grow up and destroy people. Just act. Just move. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and go there. But a faith that is focused is also faithful. And it doesn't fall for the temporary. He wrapped it up by saying this. Don't let any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by many become defiled. That no one is sexually is that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. It's an odd way to kind of end that. Where did Esau come from? Clearly, God wants us to be pure and not sexually immoral. Then he brings Esau into it. The Bible doesn't say in the Old Testament that Esau was sexually immoral. So what does this mean? What Esau did when he sold his brothers, when he sold his birthright, was he was out struggling. He, he was hunting. Didn't get any food one day. He became very hungry. And his brother came and tricked him. And he was starving. 
And his brother said, I'll give you this if you sell your birthright over to me. And Esau, in that moment, wanted instant gratification. And he threw it all away. And he sold his birthright and he gave it to his brother for instant gratification, which is much of what sexual immorality is. The idea of this is being faithless, not staying faithful. And when Esau realized what he did, how he let his faith become shipwrecked, how he did not stay focused, he went back and he wanted to repent. He wanted to change it, but he couldn't. And that's what happens if we don't live for each other. We all know people who started out right. They seem to love Jesus. They seem to follow Jesus. They seem to to care. They seem to get it. And somewhere along the line, no one came up to them sometimes to say, hey, you, you need to watch your life. What's going on here? And eventually they became shipwrecked. And they walked away from the faith. And Christianity is a faith that is lived out through progress. And the ones who persevere to the end will be saved. Salvation is by grace through faith. But one of the evidences that you've been rescued from your sins is that you will persevere all the way through. And that takes the church. That takes each other to live with each other, for each other. And sometimes you can do that for people. And you can plead them, and you can beg with them, and you can point them to Jesus, and they'll walk away. People do what people want to do. But they better walk away with us grabbing at their legs, saying, don't leave Jesus. Don't leave Jesus. Turn and look to Jesus. Persevere all the way through. This is not all there is. Don't settle for instant gratification. Persevere all the way through. That's what Jesus did for us. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the cross. And then he says in Hebrews 12, 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. But there was one who did. Jesus went all the way. He acted all the way to the point of shedding his blood for us. He gave his body for us. We haven't done that, but Jesus did. So a faith that is focused is a faith that is clear and careful about the gospel. It's constantly trying to strengthen each other's faith. It's committed. And it's faithful. Not to fall away or settle for the temporary. Because Jesus paid it all for us. He went to the cross. He went with all his self, shed all his blood, and then was rose again from the grave so that we can have hope. So that people like us, who don't have it all together, can gather week after week after week and rejoice that, man, we are messed up. But God is a great fixer of the messed up. And we can rejoice in the hope of the gospel. So run together with gratitude, with faith and focus until we reach 
the finish line. Look to Jesus, live and run, and let's do it together.